0: that's Acts chapter 11, and we're starting at verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predicted that there would be a severe famine would spread throughout the whole throughout the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is God's word.
1: Quick little passage, isn't it? I think it's fantastic, and we're going to really enjoy ourselves tonight. So let's pray as we look at it together. Lord God, we pray that your spirit would be at work, that you would open our eyes to understand your word, you would open our hearts to believe, and that you would change us so that we would live lives that are eternally meaningful, which make a difference in this world, and which honour the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen say, <clears throat> Welcome, my name's Phil, um, I'm the Associate Minister here, it's lovely to be with you again. I've just been away um, speaking at another church weekend away, and you lot are so much nicer. Um, you know, it was, they were a delightful church, they're a delightful church, but um, I bring greetings from Stag Church in Cambridge. Who, it's, it's lovely actually going to see another church and seeing the same stuff happening, and uh, Jesus busy and at work in the lives of lots of other people. Um, we're not the only people out there, and it's just encouraging. Right, uh, let's turn to Acts 11. Right, firstly, there's a picture I have on the screen for us. Who can tell me what that is? Not the little cross, but the thing being marked by the little cross. Anybody know? A cliff. (laughs) You are soon to be a teacher. Imagine how you will respond to smart-aleck comments from your students. um, (laughs) That... That unimpressive, pathetic little trickle is the source of the greatest river on planet Earth, the mighty Amazon. It begins high in the Andes as that just barely discernible dampness on the cliff. But it grows and spreads and swells, and by the time it reaches the sea, by the time it reaches the sea, 215,000 square meter, cubic meters, sorry, of water will flow out every second. It's like that with the church in the book of Acts. It begins with a barely discernible trickle. You've just got this timid little handful of very ordinary men and women hiding in Jerusalem. But then the Spirit falls on them. And little by little, it grows, and the message spreads. And by the time we reach the end of the book of Acts, there is this great river as thousands and soon millions of men and women will pour into the church and be saved in the kingdom of God. In many ways, Acts is the tale of two apostles and the tale of two cities, The first half that we're just coming to the end of has focused on the Apostle Peter and on the city of Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. But now things are going to shift. And in the second half, the focus shifts from Peter to Paul and from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now the church in Antioch will become the key springboard for the spread of the message of Jesus to the very ends of the earth. And this chapter... This chapter tells us how does this church at Antioch, this group of ordinary people grow in numbers and in maturity and in conviction so that it becomes the great sending base for world mission. The answer to that question in Acts 11 is this. Well Luke tells us a lot of the answer is this ordinary bloke called Barnabas. And Luke focuses attention really on him throughout this passage. And and what struck me as I I struggled to work out what's going on this week is that almost everything we're told about Barnabas is that he's ordinary. Everything that he does is just normal stuff that you and I do. And so this this chapter really is about the life-changing, eternally significant things God can do through ordinary people like me and like you. And that is wonderful news when so often in our lives, and especially as Christians, we can feel powerless or useless, just not very important. Have you seen the, the miniseries Chernobyl? Chernobyl? I don't know. Um, don't, don't tell me off. I don't. Anyway, you know, the miniseries on Netflix, uh, Chernobyl, it's about the 1986, uh, the disastrous meltdown of the reactor at Chernobyl, which caused such devastation in Europe. Now, one of the key characters in the, in the miniseries, if you watch it, it is brilliant, it's really worth watching, is this. This is Alana Komiok, and she's a Soviet physicist. And if you watch it, she's an absolute genius. And she figures out the true scale of what's happened, and she realises that what they initially planned to do to try and seal off the reactor and stop the the meltdown is just going to lead to an even bigger explosion and a greater catastrophe. And she saves the day, or given it's a nuclear meltdown, she saves the decades, given the impact it's had. Actually, the truth is more prosaic. She's a a fictional character. Uh, she, She represents what was actually a whole team of scientists, who were working diligently in their own different fields, uh, beavering away in offices all over the place on different aspects of the problem, uh, and who developed solutions which stopped the radioactive leak becoming an absolute catastrophe. But showing a whole team of different people doing ordinary little bits, which eventually added up to working out the solution, it doesn't make for great TV, so they just gave us her. And she's brilliant in the series, absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. But we're, there's this very human thing. We want there to be this genius, maverick figure who defies the odds and, and goes against what everybody tells them, and they save the day and make everything happen. Now, yeah, sometimes that's the case, but more often than not, life's a bit more prosaic than that. And actually, Christians, we can be the same. We're, it's not enough sometimes for us that there is Jesus. And he's all the impressive we need. We, we want there to be the dynamic individual who we can get behind. Who, who has the answer to the spread of the gospel in this culture. Someone we can believe in. Someone who impresses us. And I do wonder whether a large part of Luke's purpose in this chapter is to show us. Look, the church at Antioch became the world-changing, missionary-sending force that it did. through ordinary Christians doing ordinary things. See, Jesus is extraordinary, so you and I don't need to be. And as we look at Barnabas, I think we'll learn the part that we can play. So the essence of the Christian life is to believe in and to follow the Lord Jesus. That's the essence of the Christian life. But we learn what it looks like to follow Jesus, not just by looking at Jesus, although we do that but also by looking at those who are following Jesus, looking at others. So we learn what it it means to follow Jesus in the daily reality of of work or study or dealing with an abusive boss or looking after elderly parents or dating or whatever it is. We learn what it looks like to follow Jesus faithfully in those contexts by looking at mature Christians who are doing those things and copying them. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's why we have small groups in the structure that we do. So there are small group leaders who are hopefully just a a little bit further on the Christian path than most of the people in the group and can just help you work it out. It just means we're connected in church with people who can help us with the practicalities of how do I, how do I do this following Jesus thing in life? And that's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, We'll see Barnabas, um, actually if you read the whole New Testament, you find he's not a perfect man. He gets publicly rebuked by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.13 and it's recorded for all of church history. Ouch. But he is a good man and we can learn some very encouraging things from his example. And as I said, we'll learn any of us, all of us, each and every one of us can live lives that matter and that make an eternal difference. Ordinary people doing ordinary things, but in the hands of the extraordinary God, eternally significant things are achieved. Okay, you've got the, you've got the points on your sheet. Firstly, a good man who saw God's grace and encouraged people. Uh, turn up verse 19, back one page, I think. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So Luke is actually dialing us back a few years to act 8 and the persecution that happened in the aftermath of Stephen's martyrdom and we're told in act 8 that the believers were all scattered out of Jerusalem and here we read some went as far as Antioch so um, if you've got incredibly good eyesight you'll see Antioch's a couple of hundred miles up the coast from Jerusalem at the bottom Antioch almost at the very top and believers went there and it's Antioch's a very important place it's the third city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria It's home to 500,000 people. It's a wealthy trading hub and a melting pot of different cultures and different peoples. Now Acts 10 tells us that while the Christians were getting going in Antioch, God has been teaching the apostles, as we saw, that the gospel is for all peoples. And he helped them learn that through the conversion of the Roman centurion Cornelius, if you remember. Quite separately, up in Antioch, The Holy Spirit has been prompting the believers there to spread the good news of Jesus, not just to Jewish people like them, but also to the Greek-speaking non-Jewish people in the city. And many responded as the Spirit is at work. And so for the first time, in Acts 10, for the first time you have an individual Gentile, as the non-Jews were called, coming to faith in Jesus Christ with one or two in his household. Here in Acts 11, you have a whole church that is a mixture of Jew and Gentile worshipping God together. Now, after a couple of years, as this is, uh, really gets going and becomes a thing, news filters back to Jerusalem. that There's this vibrant church in Antioch where, where people of different ethnicities and Jews and Gentiles worship God together. And so verse 22 we read, News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. The apostles, uh, they pick Barnabas, they send him up there. They don't send an apostle. They don't need to send an apostle because Peter's encounter with Cornelius has already established that the Gentiles are genuinely welcome in God's people as fully included spirit-filled followers of Jesus. Instead, they send Barnabas to see what's going and to encourage them. Now again, if you've been with us, you might remember Barnabas' name from way back in Acts 4, Acts 4 verse 36. His, His name is actually Joseph. He's a Levite and his name is Joseph. But he was so well known for encouraging others that he gets nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And the name just sticks. And by this point, he's just called Barnabas. It does make me wonder, what would my, what would your spiritual nickname be? What would you like your spiritual nickname to be? Anyway, what does Barnabas make of it all as he, as he goes there? Verse 23. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Now, remember, uh, the, the church in Antioch is going to have been culturally very, very different to what Barnabas is used to in Jerusalem. The songs would have been different. The liturgy would have probably been unfamiliar. The services almost definitely were in Greek. And the snacks afterwards weren't all kosher. Everything would have just been, ooh, this is just not familiar for me. But Barnabas can see past all of that. He can see past the cultural awkwardness and difference. And see the spiritual reality that underlies it all. He can see evidence that the grace of God is at work here. And so he is glad. He is glad. Here is a man who doesn't care whether it's in his church or somebody else's. When God's grace is at work he rejoices. Now I'm guessing there were all manner of issues and immaturities and muddled beliefs because that seems to have been the case for all the churches in the New Testament when you read the letters. I mean that's why he sends for Paul to seriously intensively teach them. But in spite of all that was probably wrong, he could see God's grace and he rejoices. He is excited by what God is doing amongst them and not just critical of what needs to happen. Now, he's like a parent filled with delight when their toddler takes the, the first steps, not criticizing. Seriously, can't you juggle a football? That's not dancing. I mean, come on, you fell over after six steps. How are you ever going to get anywhere in life like that? Get a grip. It's No, delighted. A parent is delighted to see the progress, the first steps. They're just excited at that that moment of of this has been achieved. And Barnabas is like that as he sees God's grace at work in a young church for all their problems. So you see throughout the New Testament, I think, how generous-hearted Barnabas is. If you remember back, it's he who first welcomed Saul to the church in Jerusalem, when the other believers were terrified and wouldn't go near him. They were all afraid. Look, what if it's a ruse? What if he's just pretending to be a Christian so he can uh, get inside our meetings, infiltrate things, find out where we are, and then call the police? But Barnabas isn't blinded by fear because Barnabas can see what God is doing. And so he takes him in. He puts an arm around Saul's shoulder and brings him to the Apostles. And he doesn't just rejoice, he also encourages. And you see in verse 23, he encouraged them. It's no surprise to find Barnabas doing that, given his nickname. But this wholehearted man encourages them to keep going. He saw what the grace of God had done. He's glad and he encourages them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. It sounds actually exactly like Paul's own message to a a bunch of young Christians In Colossi, a few years later, he says these words, um, and it's basically what Barnabas tells them. So, Colossians 2 6 7. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. That's Paul's advice to young Christians, just like Barnabas's. I see God at work in you. It's wonderful. Now, keep going, keep growing. And all this behaviour, it flows out of verse 24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Full of faith, full of the Spirit. Full of faith means he trusted what God could do with these ordinary people in Antioch. He wasn't blinded by the humans in front of him. He had faith that God could be at work. And full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit means he was a channel of God's grace and blessing to them. They didn't just get Barnabas' natural abilities when he went to Antioch. They got the Spirit of the living God working through him. And so the church grows even more quickly. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. That verb, were brought or were added, is what you call a divine passive. They didn't just appear. It's, It's describing what God has done. It's God who grows the church. And Barnabas just observes and encourages what he sees God doing. And look, we can all do what Barnabas does here. It costs nothing. We can all encourage. And if you want to encourage well, if you want to help the church grow by encouraging people as you see God at work, then here you go, here's three tips to encourage well. Three tips. Make it specific, make it uh, genuine, and make it God-honoring. There you go. Firstly, make it genuine. It's not encouraging if it's not true. It's not an encouragement to tell me my singing voice reminds you of the angels and transports you to heaven, when the truth is it sounds like the northern line changing tracks at the points. It's you know, empty flattery. We all do it. We say things that we know aren't true, but it makes other people like us when we say nice things to them. That's not encouragement. That's flattery. Make it specific. I think you're brilliant. It's lovely to hear. But it's, it's actually not hugely helpful. Much, much better is I just, got to be honest, I've loved in the last few weeks hearing your excitement at small group at being able to share your faith with your flatmates. I remember when you first came to church, the only things that seemed to excite you were holidays and watching sport and buying clothes. And, and now now I hear every week you are just excited to be talking about Jesus with others I'm so encouraged at what God is doing in you make it specific and make it God honouring because the aim is to encourage people that God is at work in them and through them not to make them big headed and swell their ego so again I think you're brilliant is not always the most helpful thing much better look I wanted to tell you God really used the words you spoke to me last week. I was feeling utterly fed up and low and God spoke through you to lift me and I thank him for that. Uh, Look, I know Sunday mornings are really precious but as a parent, I'm just so grateful that you come and love my kids and teach them about Jesus. I thank God for you. You It encourages me to keep praying when I see the Holy Spirit at work in people like you. Make it genuine, make it specific, make it God-honoring. We could all, every one of us here, could aim to encourage one person each week. I don't mean you're limited. As if I've done my one, now I get to be cynical and cutting. You know, we're not limited, but we can all aim for at least one. You could set a reminder on your phone for 4 p.m. on Sunday, just with one word on it. Set a reminder for 4 p.m. on a Sunday that just says Barnabas pops up every Sunday, and when that pops up, you pray, Lord. Help me to be a real encouragement to at least one person tonight. See what a difference that makes. Let it prompt you to think who you might encourage in a genuine, specific, God-honoring way. Look, there's lots of things that we cannot be as a church. Lots of things we love to be that we can't be as a church. But we could be the most encouraging church in London. We all have the power to make that happen. And Barnabas shows, actually, it's quite a critical thing for helping the church grow. When we encourage what God is doing, the church grows. Secondly, secondly, he's a humble man who celebrated the gifts of others. The second thing that Barnabas does is to get Saul, and he soon starts to go by his Greek name Paul. It's that guy. So verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So Barnabas is the man the apostles themselves have chosen and sent to Antioch. But he recognizes that what the church there needs is Saul. You read Paul's letters and you go, okay, fair point. (laughs) He's the greatest teacher in the history of the church. And Barnabas is happy to recognize someone who's more gifted than him. Barnabas isn't all about building his brand. There's no Barnabas International Ministries website. There's no speaking tour promoting the Antioch Plan book as Barnabas explains how he strategized for such explosive church growth. There's none of that. Instead, there's the humility to recognize, oh look, God's doing something great here. You know what, if I get sore things are going to go much better for this church than if I teach them myself. And so he gets Saul to to instruct and he and Barnabas teach the church so that its foundations are firm and its doctrine is rich and biblically sure. And for a year he helps as Saul and he provide intensive teaching. And I think actually you can see the result of this in the last phrase of these verses. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch up to this point Jesus followers have been called disciples chapter 6 verse 1 saints chapter 9 13 those being saved chapter 2 verse 47 followers of the way chapter 9 verse 2 but after a year of intense teaching especially from Paul they're called Christians I don't think that's a coincidence I wouldn't build too much on it but it doesn't look like a coincidence to me see the Bible does teach about all of life But the centre of the Bible's teaching is Jesus Christ. That's the centre of it. And so after a, a year of rich, faithful teaching from the Bible, it's no surprise that Christ is the topic they can't stop speaking about. Christ is the person whose example shapes the way they live. The teaching hasn't just changed their knowledge so they know more. It's changed their hearts, as all faithful Bible teaching does, such that they get nicknamed Christ's ones Christians always battering on about Jesus and they just seem to live quite a lot like him and here again well here again is an example we can follow and emulate I mean in one sense yes let's let's try to be more like Christ absolutely but also we all feel out of our depth at various points and we can all do what Barnabas does. I don't know whether he felt out of his depth or not, but we can all do what Barnabas does and get someone more gifted to help. Actually, we can do exactly what Barnabas does and get Paul. You know, Not physically, he's been dead a long time, but in our Bibles, we've got 13 of Paul's letters. We, we, can, do, we can give people something much better than our own opinions. We can, we can give them the word of God. Barnabas is a man who encourages and he's a humble man who celebrates the gifts of others and is quite happy to, to see the church taught by Paul rather than primarily him because he knows they'll do better under Paul. Lastly, he's a trustworthy man whose character has been proven. So, uh, verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did sending the gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now there are a heap of bad harvests between 41 and 54 AD. We don't know which one this is referring to, but it's the response that matters. The believers in Antioch are separated from the believers in Jerusalem by a few hundred miles of geography and a vast chasm of culture. But they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when they hear about the suffering of the church in Jerusalem, it hurts them more to hear that their brothers and sisters are suffering than it hurts them to give sacrificially to help them. Now, As an aside, can I encourage you to be praying for and perhaps financially supporting those who work with persecuted Christians? What is it? 270 million Christians are estimated to face persecution around the world and many live in poverty because of the discrimination they face. Sadly in Muslim countries, in large parts of India in communist regimes, Christians are often excluded from aid in disaster relief. When they're when the officials are handing it out and if we don't help them nobody else will there is no UN high commission for the relief of persecuted Christians and they are our brothers and sisters so an entirely healthy thing as Christians is on top of my giving to church to consider maybe making some little contribution to the needs of persecuted believers one of the best organisations I think is Open Doors you can look into there and at least get praying Okay, Um, back to Acts 11. It's not just an act of kindness that the church in Antioch seeks to help the poor Christians in Jerusalem. It is a declaration of unity. As I've said, they're brothers and sisters. And we've seen again and again how important this is in Acts. God wants the followers of Jesus to be one and not to be separated by culture, wealth, class, language, religious background, any of these things. But the logistics are not straightforward. They can't just wire a bank transfer down to Jerusalem. It doesn't work like that back then. They're going to have to send someone with a big old bag of gold a couple of hundred miles down the road, which is a massive responsibility. And when you think about it, a pretty large temptation. Because when they're gone, they're gone. But without a trustworthy agent, you cannot have this wonderful... Declaration of unity and help. Thankfully, they have Barnabas, and he has proved himself to be trustworthy. When we first met him in Acts 4, do you remember what he was doing? He sold one of his own fields. He was obviously reasonably wealthy. And he put the money at the apostles' feet and said, Do with it whatever you think is best. In other words, he learned to be generous and trustworthy with what was his. And now we find. So he's able to take responsibility for the things of others too. And all of us actually, again, can do that. All of us can honour God in the challenges I find here in my life. So that as I learn and grow, I'll be able to take greater responsibilities for others too. It feels weird in a church to say, be like Barnabas. You know, the basic message of the Bible is not copy other people, it's trust in Jesus. But sometimes we, get, we do get little uh, little models that encourage us. Of actually, here is a healthy model to, to follow, and I do think that's what we get here. Everything he does, we can do too. You can be young or old, male or female, married, single, obviously gifted or very ordinary, mature Christian, you're young in the faith, and you can do everything Barnabas does here. You can encourage people. You can get somebody who is a better teacher when, you're out, when you need their help. You can grow in responsibility. All you need to do is actually the things we're told of him to seek to be full of faith in the Spirit. And that's available to all of us. And the reason that God can use ordinary people like Barnabas and like you and me, is as Barnabas recognises in verse 23, the power doesn't come from the people. Look at verse 23. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, that's the power. Uh, look, at this, uh, look at the reasoning of uh, well-known verses in Hebrews 13, which we'll put up on the screen. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Copy them. And then it goes on. It sounds like a total non sequitur. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's like he just sort of tacks on this tea towel verse afterwards. But actually, verse 8 is the reason for verse 7. He's saying, look, imitate the lives of faithful godly leaders... Imitate the way they live and look at where it leads. And the reason is, well, Jesus Christ is exactly the same in your life as he is in theirs. He hasn't changed and he won't change. And just as they trusted his grace and power and found he was enough for them, so you can trust his grace and power and find out he's enough for you. Uh, This is... uh, The Saturn V rocket, Uh, that's not, that's Hebrews 13, hopefully there's a picture appearing of the Saturn V rocket. There we go, that's the Saturn V rocket. uh, It blasted the first men to the moon uh, not so very long ago. It is also the most powerful uh, transportation engine ever built by humans, 160 million horsepower. Beat that, Jeremy Clarkson. I mean, that is seriously powerful if you, if you can't get your head around that that's 2,667 jumbo jets same amount of power serious amount of grunt now that immense power was all activated by one technician at NASA flipping one switch to launch the countdown sequence uh, a number of minutes before now I hope it's obvious. The technician did not have the power to launch the Apollo module into space. And actually, the technician had no great skill. NASA doesn't even record the name of the individual who flipped the switch because they just weren't important. We don't know whether they're male or female, young or old. We know nothing about them. You can't find it anywhere. It's not recorded. Because all they did was flip a switch. All they had to do was... Tch- and then p- <laughs> and people go to the moon. The Holy Spirit is a whole lot more powerful than the Saturn V rocket. And as you and I just do ordinary stuff, encourage people, keep going. I've been really encouraged by what God's doing in you. As we help people get taught by the Bible, hey, look, I can't answer all your questions, but why don't you come along to church? As We seek to take responsibility for our own lives and and just grow a bit so that in time we can take responsibility for others too. As we do that, the Holy Spirit's at work with his almighty power. So be encouraged about how God used ordinary Barnabas. God can use you and me in the same way. The only ability God has ever needed from you and me is our availability. Give yourself to him and see what he could do with your yielded life. And you can begin in a couple of minutes as we seek to have that one encouraging conversation with another. God will be at work. won't sound like Saturn v. Rocket, places unlikely to fill with smoke and fumes, but God will be mightily at work. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, we thank you that you have all the power. The Lord Jesus has done all the work, and so you don't need us to be impressive, extraordinary people. Thank you that the the true history of the church is, is basically a history of ordinary people plodding away, obeying you, and seeing that you work in mighty power through us to grow your church and bring salvation to the world. Help us, we pray, dear Father, to see that in our church. And help us to trust that that will be the case in our lives. And so would we honor and obey you by serving. In Jesus' name, amen.